The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. And this breaks my heart to this day. Mom, you don't know how hard it is to be your daughter. And she said, you know, the things that guys say about you and everything at school, it just, it's so hard to be your daughter. Right here, you are. You know, I I should probably have some kind of, and it's I guess a little late, eleven episodes in, thinking about this. But I should have had some kind of signature, right? Maybe some kind of opening. Say the same thing each each time. I don't know. Is that what people do? Or the out? Maybe do it on the out. Peace and love. I don't have a signature. I don't have any kind of uh any kind of calling card here. But it's uh you know what it's it's like it's important I think. It's like the artist's stroke, I guess, is what I've called this kind of thing before. Um looking at the art on the wall from 10 feet away just gives you an impression of the picture in their mind, which is, you know, I guess the look into the artist that people pay millions of dollars for, you know, what's going on. Um, I, though, I I get real close. I I love to see the actual brush stroke on the canvas. Had the opportunity two times over the past year to see Starry Night in person. So... The thrill in that was not was not the entirety of the photo. We've all seen it. You know, it's become refrigerator magnet pop culture. The Mona Lisa starry night. But I wanted to get up close. You know what I photographed? Of course, I took a picture of the whole thing and myself standing in front of it. It, it wasn't painted to the edge. There was some canvas left Particularly, I think the photo I have is the top right corner of it. And it was framed. But between the frame and the paint, he hadn't painted off the canvas. You know, I I paint also. And something that I always was aware that I had to do was to paint off the canvas. You have to paint beyond the edge of the canvas. And he hadn't done that. And that, to me, that was the fascinating, that was the humanizing element of that painting. That was a piece of Van Gogh that was left, if you, can see any, any, if you could see any brush in the stroke. And that's what I look for. I mean, that's, that's an element of life, the life of the painter. I mean, and that's, that's what fascinates me. But beyond the fine arts... You've got artists that have that stroke, that that signature that you look for. I directed a video for the Phil Rizzuto Invitational Celebrity Golf Tournament many moons ago. It was actually a very early collaboration of Anthony's and mine. Uh, I'll I'll do an entire episode about that in a in a future edition of this. It warrants its own 
it warrants its own thing. Hearing me try, try to put together interviews for uh, Mad Dog Russo, Dick Vitale, Gary Carter, Phil Rizzuto, Yogi Berra. I mean, these were my first interview subjects. I went from Yogi Berra, you know, to the Iron Sheik, basically. The artist's signature, it, Bob Smith, of the Howdy Doody Show fame, was one of the people I had to interview. And I remember saying early on to the to my crew, like, can we? You think he'll do the say, kids? What time is it? You think he'll do it, or is it one of those fucking things that he's just been asked to do every time a motherfucker comes up to this guy? Like, oh, could you do it, Bob? Could you do it? Could you do it, Bob Smith? Could you do it, please? Could you do the say, kids? What time is it? And I sat down to interview him, and in the first question, in his answer to my first question, he did it. Just in in recounting a story. And it was a great moment. I didn't, I've never watched one episode of the Howdy Doody show. But in my research and preparing to go see him, this is what he was legendary for. So to, to, to have that happen, there was that moment like, yes, I've just, I've just seen some, I've just seen the artist's stroke. I've just seen the brush. Him doing it. Not just him talking about him doing it. Like when Groucho Marx did the walk. I think it was on the Oscars, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It was the Oscars one time. It was very, very old. I mean, it was towards the end, and he came out, and he did that walk. The Groucho squat. You know, the the place went crazy. It's 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 seeing the artist stroke. Painting it in front of you. While they're alive. we could move over to another another genre altogether kiss fans <laughs> somebody just wrote a question on twitter what is it with you and kiss kiss fans know that rock and roll all night is not the best kiss song and probably one of the more annoying ones but seeing them do it and close the show with it it's a thing now Or Van Halen doing Jump when the the original lineup gets together. Not the quality of the song. I never liked it. But seeing them do it is seeing the artist's stroke live. If you saw Randy Savage's elbow from the top rope, we can again move to we've we we went right down the gradient did we we went right on the ladder fucking right through dante's seven rings of hell we started with i started with van gogh we started with van gogh guys in this podcast we're now on randy savage's elbow okay just so you know and captain bob smith and howdy doody we're in there somewhere that's why you got to love this show guys i mean come on so yeah, the Savage Elbow, the Flair thing. And people used to deride Flair for having the same match again and again. But Ric Flair was a commodity beyond wrestling. Ric Flair, we were already in a time. Ric Flair was is just so great. He straddled, he straddled those two eras. He was in the 
era of believability. I guess you call it the kayfabe era, but it was the era where people came out because they wanted to see someone get their ass kicked and thought they were going to get their ass kicked. They believed Ric Flair was going to get his ass kicked by Ronnie Garvin that night. And that's why they came out. And Ric Flair talked the talk, walked the walk, made you believe that it was going to be so satisfying to watch him get his ass kicked that night at the Omni. So he was he was there, and the, but then also, you know, he was entertainment. The fall, you know, the three steps fall on your face. No one, no one believed anybody fucking falls like that when they get knocked out. We've all seen boxing matches. We know how someone goes down. The up and over, you know, Flair does the uh, somersault over the turnbuckle, down the rope, take the clothesline, bump onto the apron, onto the floor. If it ever happened to you in that fashion, you'd never put yourself into a position where it was going to happen to you again. But it did nightly. You know why? You know why it got the fucking pop? It wasn't because anyone believed he fucking took the somersault over the deal and the clothesline in the floor. It's because they just watched Kiss sing rock and roll all night in person. All right, listen, do you read wrestling books? There's a ton of them out there, right? You got memoirs, you got wrestlers' memoirs. The business of kayfabe, turning wrestlers' secrets into a million dollars, written by yours truly. Okay, now this chronicles the business lessons learned from running kayfabe commentaries for 12 years. My first book, Kayfabe, uh, Stories You're Not Supposed to Hear, from a pro wrestling production company owner. Number one bestseller in the wrestling category for almost 19 months, okay, on Amazon. This follow-up, The Business of Kayfabe, what are the business lessons inside these stories? What is there to learn from all of this time running the company? The personalities in pro wrestling have always been some of the most unique and entertaining in the world. And for more than 10 years, Kayfabe Commentaries has been the leading production company in the genre. Now you'll go inside the company, you'll see how it's done. Me, the on-camera ringmaster, co-owner of the company, I'm going to take you inside. I'm going to take you through all the components of building the business that brought the real-life personalities behind wrestling's outrageous uh, angles uh, to the masses. From our hits to our cancellations, there were lessons to be learned in all of it. Listen, tons of great stories. It's available in paperback, on Kindle, and on audiobook go check out audible or grab it on itunes however you listen to your audiobooks the business of kayfabe all right here with my old friend terry runnels we we uh she's just just so everybody everybody uh well yeah old old friend it's like hyphenated it's not old friend it's not an adjective um but uh, just so everybody, so everyone can be up to speed before we started this recording, we uh, Terry is being watched via her gimmick called, let's just get this right out of the way, right up top. It, it is called, not Twitch, it's the other one. It's D-Live. D-Live. So, so I, go, I go live on Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's www.dlive.com dot tv forward slash the terry reynolds so if you want to talk to me see me that's where you can find me on those days 
Okay, and it's just they just drop in and like whatever you happen to be they doing. Drink. If you're cooking pasta, you're have. cooking pasta. Dude, dude, I've been playing the piano all afternoon for them. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Like right now, I'm sitting at my mom's at the piano. Yeah, I've right. been, I've been chilling out playing piano for them. It is either the most fun thing in the world to live with you, Terry, or maddening. What what really? would what would the public what would what would your spouse your previous spouse say A or B a, a, well, let me, let, let, a party let, or a be, prison before before I answer that because I will answer it brutally honestly yeah I would like to ask you what you think it is I know you, that you posed the question but I want to throw it back to you if you don't mind to like lob it back to me yeah. with your answer honestly it would depend on the weather it, I mean it really would depend <laughs> on what kind of day it's been yeah, I, okay. I, there are days I might walk in and not want to hear the fucking piano or have Twitch yeah. people staring into the house. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, hey, it might be fun other times. So Okay, so so I am, which most people wouldn't even think of, I am like the 1950s beaver cleaver mom. Like, I just take care of my family, my man, in that old school fashion. So... I cook, I clean. That's just the way I am. That's the way I am. If I love you, if I don't love you, then I'm not going to take care of you. But if I love you, I will take care of you with, with, um, with crazy, like, yeah, nuts. Terry, a couple of years ago, we worked together. I was directing and producing a show called Vince Russo's Attitude, where, mm-hmm. wherein, Vince would sit down with somebody who was uh, prominent in his tenure as the head writer for Raw and just go over angles and, and just all things Vince Russo. You got off the plane, met you in baggage. There was, uh, there was baggage, which I expected. There was a dog, which, which I didn't expect. This was Mozart? Yes, yes he, he, he was put down... Last July, God rest his soul. Very yeah. sorry to hear that. We're going to talk. We're actually going to, I'm going to contact him later, but that's at the end of the interview. Um, but you guys yeah. had a great time and you had great chemistry on camera, which is no doubt why. You call, you call that chemistry? Oh, absolutely. Which okay. is no doubt why he wrote so well for you and Dustin. Do you not think that you, you have to have that uh, personal je ne sais quoi if somebody's going to write for your character? Um, I think that at the point in time that we did the interview with you, um, he had far surpassed anything that he had done with us and he was a much different human being. So I just think it's, it's, you can't, it's like, you can't color both of them with the same color or cloth. And so, yeah, he's, he was a totally different person when you did the interview with us, um, in the last couple of years. And it was frustrating for me because I kept wanting him to kind of come out of character. Like I was not being in character. I was being genuine, but it was like, he was in this like ridiculous demonstrative, uh, annoying character. And why? Like I was there being myself. Um, It was just annoying as hell. Do you think you don't think it was just trying to disarm you to to have fun, you know? How, well, like you don't disarm a lady by coming at her the way he did. That's like the antithesis of disarming someone. I don't remember. 
as well as you, I guess. The, the just what was he? What was he doing? Just uh, teasing being you? An, like being a character? Like, dude? Like we're sitting here? Like we we're old friends? Come on, let's let's like be old friends. We can talk about the writing. We can talk about old times. But like he was just being a character, and that drove me like crazy. Like, dude, uh, like. And and just just so you know, had he um, or excuse me, not he had you said to me, hey, Terry, I want to do this whole uh, series where, you know, Russo is going to do this. He's going to be, you know, in, in character and and he's going to interview you and it's going to be, you know, his character. And then you answer as yourself. No big deal. But it was so disappointing for me for him to. Like we've had interviews that were great before where he was truly a genuine soul and it was, it was enjoyable and it was real and it was, it was factual and it was great. But I, I was really disappointed in, in the product that, that you produced, not because of you. That was shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I was very disappointed. I hear a loud echo. Am I playing very loud in your room there? You've not changed anything, and I, I've not touched anything. I've no, not moved. No, no. I'm sitting in the same spot. Okay. You know what it is? It's just the echo in the room of my voice coming out of your speaker, I think. <laughs> is it maybe that what I just said is, like, echoing into the chambers <laughs> of your soul? Yeah, this thing, yeah, this thing ain't going to work. I hear an echo somewhere. We're going to put the kibosh. What the no, hell? well, let me tell you, for, for all your dissatisfaction with the show, which I'm just learning for the first time, you sent me one of the nicest letters. Love you. Love you. After that show, just thanking us on, if you don't mind my telling, uh, just thanking us for our professionalism. I mean, it wasn't one of these long, drawn-out bullshit uh, things that you get from workers sometimes. It was a card that said, just thank you for being so professional. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I, I, I thought for you, for your part, you did an amazing job and I appreciated and respected that. And hence I am a big proponent of old school handwriting, a thank you letter to people um, that you appreciate. And I appreciated what you did. I just did not love what came out of that, which had nothing to do with you. I don't think. I no, think I didn't write. The, I wanted Vince to, to write his part of it because I mean, we did some of the research for him just to make sure like dates and timeline was accurate and stuff. But we wanted him to write the questions and the topics because he was the one that had to deliver it. You know, obviously you right. want the host to be themselves. But what I'm hearing is that you didn't think that was himself. No, no. I mean, and anyone who knows Vince knows that that was not him. I would have had so much more fun like, I don't mind if you need to grab a headline, if you need to have some, like, some little salacious little tidbit. Like, I get it. That's what you need. That's what he needs. Whatever. I get that. I'm I'm happy to oblige. But, um, yeah, I just thought that. I was like, dude, like, we know each other, like, like way back when. Like, I I knew you. And knew you were writing for everyone long before anyone else knew that you were writing for our TV and doing anything having to do with our characters. And when I say our characters, I mean all of WWF at the time. Um, like, I knew that long, long ago. Um, it's funny. Vince, Vince had this hideous 
like rubber um, attache case that was breaking apart. And I was just like, dude, if you're going to be writing for TV, you need to have something that is like spot on, professional, beautiful, high caliber. Um, so I, I think I bought him a, a leather attache for like $500 and gave it to him. And just, just like, I appreciated him. Like that was kind of me saying to him, I appreciate what you're doing for Dustin and what you're doing for me. And I want you to rise to the top. And um, yeah, I've never thought anything less than that about him, except for some of the cock-a-doodle-doo that he's done, like with, with your interview. Right. Let me switch gears in a big way. Um, you were please, a, please do. Yeah. Can we like get to the? Like, we're getting into a real hole here. I want to talk to you. Some I wrote one of the books I wrote uh, about wrestling was called Father's Blood. You should read it, and it covered um, men in the business that were dads at the time in the kayfabe era nothing nothing more recent but the time when you know you guys were on the road 250 days and the schedule was grueling and i was fascinated and i've always been fascinated by the wrestling family um you know how much is kayfabe at home how do the kids find out what's really going on you know when you when your dad is Eddie Graham and you know, they're seeing him do or Kevin Sullivan and they're seeing him do X, Y, Z on TV. How do you reconcile that at school? So I'm going to ask you as a parent in the business, what was the most challenging thing from your perspective? Cause you were both there. So I'll start out by telling you that when I came up with the concept and the, the creation of Marlena, um, I did so from A to Z, like everything that had to do with Marlena was my concept. I, when I came up with the idea for Marlena, um, I was a very happy stay at home mom. Like at that point, I did, had no like desire to go back into the business. You know, I'd left um, one night, I got pissed off at Dusty and I left WCW and walked away and didn't really look back at all. Um, so it was very interesting for me to like not have a pull to be back in the industry at that point, because I was so involved in being a mom and Dakota was so young. It just, it was shocking to me when I came up with this concept in our basement, in the tanning bed, after I'd been at my sister's house, after I'd seen this Barbie doll that Bob Mackie had designed called uh, Sun Goddess, I was like, holy Katmandu, like that visual, like kind of got burned in my memory. And then I just started thinking about what the Goldust character was and how Vince wanted him to be so androgynous and and how, you know, it was going to be perceived as so gay and how at that point that was not such a, a, a positive thing. And um, I just thought when I came up with this character in the t literally it was like an, in a 20 minute session of tanning, it came to me and um, I just saw it visually. I, I just played it out in such big terms in my brain. No one else's in my brain. And so. 
again, going back, I, I told it to Dustin. He said he loved it. Um, and when I, when I, when Pat Patterson called me back from the office, um, he listened to my idea and basically kind of, you know, gave me the obligatory, well, you know, thank you so much for your ideas, but we're not interested, but thanks anyway. And good to talk to you and goodbye. <laughs> and so I didn't think another thing about it. I was just like, okay, I'm back into being mom. It's all good. It didn't bother me one bit. And then it was in December. I was at my grandparents' home with Dakota. Dustin was on the road. He called me. He said, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm at Granny and Granny's. And he said, well, pack your bags. They want to do your idea. And that was the first I, and that was like a month or so after I had given the whole concept of who and what Marlena was. And the only thing that, that the office or that Vince chose for Marlena was I said two things. I said, either she needs to go to the ring with a glass of wine or the cigar. Both of those things I enjoyed immensely and I brought them into the character of Marlena. I just thought that it would like be the icing on the cake. And, um, they chose to go with the cigar, which I loved because I love cigars. And so that's. What, what do you smoke? What's your favorite uh, label? Um, well, I have a dear friend that, that is a cigar manufacturer, oh. a, a very high-end cigar ma- manufacturer, Rocky Patel. He's Love known- Rocky. I smoke Rockies all the time. Well, he's known to me as Rakesh. Um, he and I have been friends for like 25 years and. Um, he has some of the best cigars I've ever smoked. Absolutely. Uh, I I love Padrones. Um, yeah. So, um, it was nice to be able to bring that into the character because I knew it was going to be either or to make that like, like characters must be more than one dimensional. And, and it it was like these layers that I, I wanted to bring to that character and, Segwaying back to my child, um, when I when when they said we you know we want to do your idea, they flew me up and um, Dustin and I up together, and and I was in Vince's office um, with his lovely black and red decor, which to this day it will never get old to me. Um, but you know, I just said to him, I, you know, I'm, I'm a mom first, I'm a wife second, and I will give you everything I've got third, but I have to be able to be home with my daughter. And, and that just is very important to me. So at that point in time, um, when I signed my contract, it was just that I would do TVs and pay-per-views and the rare occasion that I would do house shows. And so, yeah, that's how I, had it set for my child so she could see her mom and be like, basically when I, when I hired a nanny that was a live-in nanny, I, I, I didn't hire anyone that I didn't say to them when, when I am gone, you are mom, your dad, you're everything. When I come home, you cease being a nanny and you'll be like, like an assistant to me. Um, so that I can be a mom 24-7 because that is what is the best thing in my life. And so every nanny, I'm so proud to say, Sean, every nanny that I ever hired, with one exception, 
Um, we are still very close to this day. I've been in one's wedding. Um, uh, I'm a godmother to one of their kids now. Like it, we, we just, we're so very connected still. And, and they were so precious and wonderful in Dakota's life. Um, but yeah. Okay. I'm going to show it now and drink some water. Yeah. I was going to say, did that, did that work out? Did each nanny abide by those boundaries? Because They were amazing. They yeah. were awesome. The only one that, w the only one that was not, was the only American nanny I ever hired. And she sucked donkey dicks. Right. It, not in the house, I hope. Um, um, we, we would hope. Were you Everyone together else? with Dustin for the whole run or did you guys separate while you were working? Wait, say that again. Were you with Dustin for the whole run or did you guys separate? For the whole run. The, the uh, Goldust Marlena? Yeah, you weren't separated and working together, right? No. You weren't married for the whole thing. No. No, I divorced Dustin. I asked, we moved. To, okay, I'll back up a smidge. Um, Dustin used to beg me. Because I, I had moved to Atlanta when I was 17 years of age, fresh out of high school, um, and I, I went to Barter Fashion College, and then I started working at CNN. I owned my own property in downtown Atlanta at the age of 23, um, and Dustin would ask me, he would, he would say, you know, can we please move to Florida? And I'm in my brain, I'm thinking, dude, I've lived in Florida for 17 years. It's hot. It's humid. I'm now ensconced in this place called Atlanta and I have friends and I, I don't want to leave. So he would ask me for a while. And then finally in 1999, um, I, I don't know what made me, maybe my age. I just said to him, I'm, I'm like, do you still want to move to Florida? And he said, yeah. And we moved in January of 99 and in May of 99, I asked him for a divorce. Totally. I mean, we were building a house together. Like I didn't move to Florida in the anticipation of divorcing him, but it was just like, I guess it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, yeah. And I, I just finally said, you know, I, I can't do this. And um, so yeah. And, and I, our divorce was final in October of that year. And ironically, I'll tell you this really quickly. Um, I had bought a bottle of champagne to celebrate, like, after, like going to the courthouse, like being done on October 12th, 1999. I'm finally done with this. I don't have to deal with the pressure. I don't have to deal with all this chaos. And I kid you not, Sean, I went home and I could not bring myself to open that bottle of champagne because... All I could think about was my child was now a product of a broken home yeah. and it just yeah. ruined me. Like I was just, even though I knew what I was doing was the right thing, like I knew I had to do what I did. It still, it was so heart wrenching and heartbreaking. And to this day, when I think about it, I remember it like it was yesterday and it was just like, I would, I would give anything if Dakota could have had a mom and dad that never, ever, separated that never you know were apart from each other but it, it is what it is was dustin well, able so, to so. maintain um a closeness afterwards with dakota um so for a while um he had a really hard time with drugs and alcohol and it was very bad where the courts would only allow him to see her in in a um in a location where he was supervised um, so I would drop her off at this supervised location 
he would visit with her for an hour and then I would come back and pick her up. And um, then after that, um, it, that was for a, a good long while. And then the courts basically said, if you guys can't come up with a, um, a, a system of, of visitation betwixt the two of you, then the courts will once again become involved and will decide what's good for, for you guys. And I remember asking Dakota because she was born an old soul. God love her. She still is. Um, I remember saying to her, like, you know, what, what do you want? Like, what would feel best to you? And she came up with the um, um, one to two weeks with dad, one to two weeks with you back and forth. And that's what we did until she, I mean, until she was an adult. So um, there were times where Dustin would come to pick her up and he was in no condition to drive her anywhere. And I would have to say to him, you know, so as not to piss him off and have him go into an ugly state, I would say to him, you know, hey, Dust, um, Dakota got a brand new video game and she would love to play it with you. Or, hey, Dust, um, Dakota wants to swim in the pool today. Why don't you guys I jump mean, in the pool? Yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, and, and thank God. And I don't want to, like, focus this on his bad times because Lord knows I've made some stupid decisions myself. And I don't want to put myself as some queen of perfection because I am so not. I've made many mistakes, as you and I both well know. Um, but, you know, years later, he got clean and sober. And he has been, since then, the most amazing dad to her. And, you know, I just appreciate that in him so much. So Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great to hear that he yeah. uh, that he got it on the straight and narrow. Absolutely. Before it was too late. Um you're you're a young lady in the public eye, and um, that's always difficult because, as a celebrity, you become uh, subject to a lot of things that are not initially part of the deal. Uh, you were on TV in a wrestling program, and um, you know, but as when you become a noted personality in the public, they kind of feel like they own you a little bit, so they can post whatever they want about you or write whatever they want about you. What were the, did you have any difficult times going from the mom to not just someone on TV, but someone who is owned by the public, whose, whose image is owned by the public, the image that's put forth? I will tell you the moment that it became a problem for me. Um, I, I, like if you've ever heard any other interview I've done, um, I was very happy managing. I loved managing when Vince threw me into the wrestling aspect. I got very, uh, like, I just hated it. I just hated it. I like, I just felt like, okay, that's not what I've trained to do. That's not what I want to do. I feel like I'm great at taking bumps from the boys. I'm just not great at this. And the, the, I, I was segued on, not not from my decision, but from Vince's decision, from being a manager valet to being a wrestler at times. And that, you know, involved all of a sudden, instead of me wearing clothing to the ring, I'm now wearing bras and panties and bikinis. And I'm doing these photo shoots where I'm wearing, you know, I'm, I'm barely covered and whatever. Um, 
the, when, when, when it became a problem for me was when my child said to me, and this breaks my heart to this day, mom, you don't know how hard it is to be your daughter. And she said, you know, the things that guys say about you and everything at school, it just, it's so hard to be your daughter. And, you know, and then she went on, God love her to say, it's so hard to be dad's daughter and pop's uh, granddaughter because you, I can be talking to a group of people and any one of you three can walk up and they no longer want to talk to me. And that literally threw me like I was just holy crap. And I said to her, I said, babe, because like if I have no makeup on whatsoever, because I'm a natural redhead, my eyelashes are white. My eyebrows are white. My, it, it just, I look, completely different and I said to her I'm like you know do you want me to like not wear makeup like I'll do anything I can to make it better and to her amazing credit she said to me she said mom this is not your problem this is mine I don't want you to be anything other than what you are and I remember just thinking like I would have done if she said, mom, kill yourself. I probably would have done that to, to, you know, make my child feel better. But, um, she just, she displayed such an amazing grace about herself in that moment. And like, um, I just, from that moment on, I just remember thinking, I want to be cognizant of that and, and, and aware of that and treat it as it should be treated. And, um, yeah. So that's the, it's the one Achilles heel, right. Of, of any parent, like I can read, I can read anything, you know, my gray hair, some, some guests talked to you mentioned my gray hair and some people online talk about my waistline expanding or, but you know what? It's just like the, the, when you see it in the kid's eyes, you know, it's like, you can take on anything, but when you see your kid's pain, uh, yeah, related and, and, to and, anything you do, it's, it's yeah, the Achilles heel. And, and it, yeah, and it having to do with me, you know, I couldn't control what her dad did or what Pops did, but I could control what I did, and I, all I knew was that I wanted to do whatever I could. But again, it was like she, typical from the day she was born. I kid you not, Sean. It was like her thumb was on the pulse of people. She could read people from the, she was so, she was a tiny little tot. And, and literally this is the vibe I got from her. Um, and when I'm saying this to you and it's going to sound silly, but this is my child. She was a tiny child. I'm breastfeeding her. She's that tiny. And literally the vibe that she gave off was, I got this. Like, I'm cool. I don't need you unless I'm hungry, unless I'm sick or unless I'm really tired. And then I'm going to need one of you guys to help me out. Other, other than that, I've got this thing. Like she was born that independent and that personality. And she's still that way to this day. And just God bless her. Just, I got to say my, uh, my littlest one who just turned seven today, actually, she, <laughs> my wife birthday. and I, I'll tell Lana that you said that. Um, but my wife and I always call her an empath because she's the most placid, calm kid, but she, she, she can sense when others are upset, she'll walk up and just randomly give you a hug. And it's always when you need it. We were at a funeral this year and, um, we didn't explain to her what a funeral was. We explained we had to go to church and all this stuff, but we're sitting toward the back 
mm-hmm. in the mass. And, at, you know, she starts looking at the books and she's listening to the music. And she, at one point, she just buries her head in my wife's chest and starts bawling. She could just feel oh. the room. And yeah. I think some kids are just so tapped into yeah. just the souls of the people around them. I, I, I mean, I buy that 100%. Yeah, completely. Uh, um, but any, anything, any, anything you ever read about yourself that hurt you? I mean, we can't insulate ourselves a hundred percent. I mean, sometimes oh, when people dude. are critical of our work, does it cut? Honestly, like I, I think I'm the kind of person I grew up wanting to be a people pleaser. I wanted to like garner and gain my father's love and affection, which I never did until the day he died. Um, it just, he was not, I guess, not capable of giving my sister and I, like, and ironically enough, I found out I had a brother that I didn't even know about that looked identical to my father, but my father didn't acknowledge him until I think he was 40 years of age. Like, stupid stuff, right? Um, but I, I remember just, like, feeling like I just wanted my dad to love me like just like so I would do any and everything like if he was watching football I would sit down and like learn everything I could about football and watch it with him and um you know occasionally he was not a wrestling fan but occasionally he would you know scroll the channels and wrestling would come on and I remember you know sitting just as eager to you know please him as possible excuse me possible and um you know, it's it's one of those things where um, it just never happened. And was and he cold in general, or is yes. it just towards the children? Was he just a, a withdrawn individual? I, I didn't speak to him for like fifteen or sixteen years. I think I didn't speak to him. And all of a sudden, I one day I decided I was going to call him because I had stuff I just needed to get off of my chest, and I didn't want to harbor it anymore. Right. Um, out of the blue, it was not something that was long premeditated. It was just kind of like within an, an hour or so, I just said, no, I'm going to call him and I need to say what I need to say. And I called him and it was a three hour conversation. And, you know, I told him, you know, I needed to sit on your lap and you tell me that I had done a good job at school or that I did it, you know, that you loved me or that you spent time with, like, I just needed you in all these ways. And I expressed all of that. I got everything out of my gut that I needed to get out of my gut to him. And, um, I, 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 I remember saying to him, um, that I did not want him in Dakota's life unless he was going to be a, an active participant in her life. Like, I don't want to introduce you to my child that you've never met before unless you are going to be a good grandfather and be there for her. And we decided that we would meet, he and I alone, we would meet in Gainesville, Florida at a restaurant. And Sean, I was sitting there and I said to him, um, I said, Dad, um, from the moment I was born until this moment that you and I are sitting here at this table, what has been your biggest regret? And do you know what he said to me? It was one word. He said, women. And I literally dropped my jaw. Like, women? What are you talking about, women? Like, I'm talking about you and me as a father and daughter. Like, what are you talking about? And 
he basically said, you know, I just was a womanizer. And I'm like, dude, you have no freaking clue. Like, <laughs> you have no idea what I'm even like, trying. how I'm trying to connect with no, you. No, because oh, some people yeah. don't have the capacity for a certain yeah. kind of love, I think, Terry. You yeah. could have been any kind of daughter, you know, and your sister could have been any kind of daughter, too. And it's just they don't have that gene or whatever the fuck it is. They don't yeah. have that capacity to love in that way. And though you and I could never imagine that, mm -mm. It, it, it's like someone who can't dance. You know, it's just not there. So yeah, when I mean, he passed, just did you ever have any kind of formal resolution with him or did he just. So, so he had brain, lung and bone cancer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I would go and sit with him while he had chemo. Even after this whole moment of me realizing my father has zero connection to me, but I didn't want to have any regrets in my life where he was concerned. So I would cook for him. Like when you're on chemo, you like a lot of food doesn't taste good or whatever. So like I would cook for him whatever he felt like he could eat. Like he loved my oyster stew. Um, I remember taking it to the hospital and writing on, on the lid of what I had made. Oyster stew made with breast milk. Don't open so that no one else would steal it. Cause they, they were like, people would steal the food. Right. So, I mean, I wrote that on there and he thought that was funny and whatever. And he loved the oyster stew. And, um, and I just tried to do the best I could as a daughter of a, of this man dying. And yeah, but, but you were also still trying, you were still trying to get some of that love oh, right at the end. Something. Yeah. something and then i will never forget like at his funeral i could not muster a tear not one tear could come to my eye and and i it was just like i was i was empty I, probably as empty as he was to me all my life and even though i tried so diligently to garner his love and affection i i became his cold self after he passed, if that makes sense. What what or, in Dustin, because they sometimes say, you know, you look in a mate for what you were trying to recapture from childhood. Father, yeah. What what qualities did Dustin have that were uh, a suitable replacement for what was absent from your dad? No, nothing. I'll, t I'll tell you, and, and this has been um, after long introspection on my part. Uh, when I say introspection, ugly introspection, really me being um, looking deep into my heart and soul to figure out why this person, why I dated that person, that person, that person, why I married this person. Like, like this one was this tall. This one was this short. This one had this much money. This one was this color. This one was this what whatever. Like all of these, like not there, there was no pattern. And I, I remember at a certain point thinking, like, what is there? There has to be some correlation betwixt all of these human beings for me to be with them, for me to have joined with them for a time. Um, what is it? And when I came down to it, it was that they all needed me, whether it was my money, whether it was my affection, whether it was my salvation to, to save them, to help them, whatever, in some way they needed me. And the, when I, when I got really honest with myself, that was because my dad didn't need me 
and didn't treat me like he needed me or wanted me. That's why I chose these different people. And ironically enough, 99.9% of the people that I fell in love with and chose to be in my life, um, it was, I was not cognizant of that fact at all. Like it was not like, Oh, this person needs me. Okay. Let me choose them to be in my life. Never, ever. I only realized that way after the fact. And, you know, I, I spent five and a half years without going on a date or being with anyone after me realizing all of this, because I chose to not make that mistake again. So, and so you were able to, once you came to that realization, you, were you able to purge that from your system or, or do you sometimes fall into that hero role with the people that you see now? Yeah, I think I'll always be the Southern belle that takes care of people. I just, that's who I am in my heart of hearts. But that's different but, than rescuing someone. Yeah, but I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not a rescuer anymore right. at all. Yeah. No, can't do it. Won't do it. Can't do it. Won't do it. How's your relationship with Dustin now? Um, it's very strange. Um, and I really like the way I am either. I want to tell the truth or I don't want to say it at all, but, um, (laughs) Dustin and I have had, when he was at his worst, um, I never mistreated him ever, ever, ever. He, you know, he went on Howard Stern and just did a botched job on me as a human being. And I remember being so hurt by it, thinking like, what in the hell is he talking about? But um, had he called me at three in the morning and said, hey, Tara, I need you. I would not have blinked an eye. I would have been there for him and I would have done anything for him. Um he is with a wife that um, it's kind of like he, for a while, everything was fine. Um, It's interesting when Dustin got clean and sober, I kind of derailed. Um, I went through a period of just derailment and just completely broken. Not substance abuse. You no, no, I no. It was after a period of time where I made a, a very bad decision with a human being, and I literally would wake up and think, "What in the hell has happened to my life?" And I would drink myself back to sleep, literally drink myself back to sleep because I was like, I fought so hard to have. I mean. I was never, I didn't sleep around in the business. I was a good soul. You know, at at the end of the night, I went back to my hotel room, watched a movie, got room service, didn't party. You know, I was always a good girl in the, in the industry. And then it was like, that was being like the, the rug got pulled out from under me. Okay. Basically I'll leave it at that. And so I literally, um, I, and I knew, I knew that the moment I poured a glass of anything to drink, I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew that nothing was going to change when I woke up the next morning. Um, 
I shouldn't say the next morning, when I woke up within hours of drinking that to go to sleep again. But it was just that I could not deal with what my life was at that time. I just could not handle it. And so, um, yeah, I just said, you know, I, I just let me let me just not be present in this point of my life. And so it's interesting. Dustin got like clean and, and good and I'd never had a problem. Then all of a sudden I have a problem because I don't want to deal with the life that is now in front of me. And um, so, yeah. So anyway, um, after that, we were still great. Like we would, whenever he came over to see Dakota, he would hug me. Hello. Kiss me on the top of my head. Hey mom. I'd hug him. Hey dad. You know, we were always there like to be a, a united front for Dakota. And then um, it was years later. And I believe this to, to this day. Um, I, we did a video for Dakota's 18th birthday and um when when I showed it to Dakota and the family, we were here at, at the house I'm at right now. I'm at my mom's house. We're here. Dusty, Michelle, um, Dustin, Terrell, Dakota, me, mom, we were here and and I showed the video. And um, yeah, I, pretty much my mom said to me, you guys act like y'all are still together. And I think that offended her or upset her. And it was like, after that, he was only allowed to text me. And um, by her, you mean the wife, not your daughter. Correct. Correct. And I just think, I I think like, and my wish and, and like, I have massive respect for her. Like I, I appreciate the fact that she has loved him through some, difficult times and hard times and she's still there with him and they are connected. I love, love, love that. I love that she's been good to my child. I love and appreciate that. Um, and it makes me sad that there is not a better connection now, but it's been, um, yeah, it just, it's not, it's not what it should be to me. Um, I don't, I don't treat Dustin uh, um, the way that I like, if he hurts me or if he hurts my feelings, which he has many times, um, I don't let that come through where, um, my child is concerned or whatever. I want it to be like, we're going to have grandbabies, you know, we're going to like, we're going to have wedding. We're going to have things that we're going to have to be together for. Yeah. And yeah. I just think it's very wise to be as as kind and and considerate of each other as we can be and i hope that he's able to um do that again at at some point so anyway it's a bit strange right now that's all okay but now do you think you guys without wrestling would have stayed together Did, did that contribute wrestling had nothing to do with it in fact okay forgive me i'm chewing ice um wrestling you know, that was one of those things where people have asked me this so many times. It was great to be able to be at home and talk about what we dealt with on the road. Like, unless you've been on the road, you can't understand what the other person's going through. You just, you have no idea. You can try, but the fact that we were there together and, and we dealt with it together made it so much easier. Like we, we were able to communicate about that and everything. Um, 
So yeah, wrestling had nothing to do with it. It was drugs and alcohol that had to do with our divorce. Well, since, listen, uh, I I thank you for your candor, Terry. It's, uh, I've given you massive candor. It's, uh, yeah, well, no, you're (laughs) not, your bravery, your bravery is, is admirable and noted hopefully by everyone who's listening. Um, we'd be remiss though, if we didn't pay a little tribute to Mozart who uh, came into my life for only one afternoon. Yeah. Little uh, what 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 uh, what kind of dog was he? He was a. He was the only mutt I ever owned. Oh. I'd always owned purebred poodles, purebred poodles. Sorry, um, and he was half poodle, half Yorkie, and he was with me for sixteen and a half years. And I was doing an appearance in Detroit, and he seized um, twice mm-hmm. at three in the morning and five in the morning, and I literally thought. I was going to have to put him down in Detroit and I could not fathom how do I put my dog down and get him home with me? Like it was just, it was just crazy. And I remember saying to him, you know, buddy, hang on, like I'll get you home. And um, I flew home to Tampa, jumped in my car, drove like a bat out of hell, got pulled over, got a speeding ticket, the whole nine. Um, but thank God there was a vet um, named Dr. Addison, who is like a country vet. He came to my mom's farm and I was able to let Mozart, like the last moments of his life, he, he loved mom's farm so much. And he was able to walk around, you know, go potty, go smell the chickens, go do, you know, like his normal little routine walk around. And I said to Dr. Addison, I'm like, you know, please tell me, like if, if there's anything we can do. And, and he gave him one last exam and he just said, Terry, you know, yeah, we can, we can give him meds and we can prolong it, but you're doing that for you. You're not doing that for him. Yeah. And, yeah. and I had to say, you know, do it. And, and God love him. I want to give him so much credit because honestly, that man drove from his office in Lake city, Florida to bring for Florida, which is like a 30 minute drive. He had not been home for dinner. It was seven o'clock. Now it's seven thirty. Now it's eight o'clock. And he's like, you know, take all the time you need to hold him and talk to him. And I, I maintained my, uh, I guess I'll call it my dignity with him. And I just said to him, I said, buddy, you're going to take a happy nappy. Mommy will see you in heaven. And I love And I kept that spirit like I'd always talk to him. And then once Dr. Cliff gave him the meds and, and checked his heartbeat and he told me that he was no longer living, I lost it. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I held him, Sean, for like two and a half hours in a blanket. And I just talked to him and, and Dakota would hold him. I would hold him. Mom would hold him. And then finally about midnight, Dakota and Blue buried him here at mom's. And, um, it was horrible. Like I, to this day, like I can't even fathom having another animal because I just, the pain is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I think like, you just gave me a beautiful gift in two ways. You talked, you let me talk about Dakota by asking about her and you let me talk about Mozart by asking about him or bringing him up. And I so appreciate that. All right. Well, let's, right. let's wrap this up by having to, uh, to, to, by having Mozart talk for himself. Now you guys were very close. So I have no doubt you have a spiritual connection with him. Still. I have just two questions for him. I want you to, to listen, to focus and see if you can give me an answer from him. Number one, What's the best thing about living with Terry Runnels? What's he saying? Um, she was always there. 
She was my constant. Second question. In the afterlife, has Dusty put himself over Jesus yet? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, no. Listen, it pops like with the immense amount of pizzazz that that man garnered in his pinky finger, much less his entire body. Um, he still pales to Jesus and God, but and to my atheist friends, get over it. Yes, I'm a believer. Um, and, but yeah, no, I think he, I think he reveres the big man. He reveres the big man. He'll job only He'll job. to the big man. He, he will job only to the big man. But not I, entirely. I, I, I smell a dusty finish in the works. <laughs> well, now now Vince is going to come on and finish the interview. No. Let him. Let him. He can. <laughs> Terry is just so special, is she not? She is something. She is something. Okay, I promise you Twitter. I always promise you Twitter. If I'm not answering you, I'm 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 not doing my job. All right. Uh boy, there's a lot today. Uh the Grease asks me, let's start with the important questions. Have you ever been kicked out of a bar? I haven't. Um not in the not in the sense that you're probably asking like some really choochy behavior where I'm you know carrying on and I have to be tossed. Uh, um, there were times where I I almost didn't get in. See, I as a young man, I had a pretty pretty dope uh, fake ID set. I had a driver's license, um, a credit card, and a social security card. Um set that I would so it's kind of three layers of like convincing the bouncer when he looks at the card and goes yeah really I don't know man I'm like well, what do you well, what do you want well, here's a credit card the credit card was expired I think but used the same one for a long time so I give him the credit card I'm like what I, I think I even I think I even have my social security card man you want to see that and by the time I pulled that he's like all right all right all right just go just go so I was going to adult establishments um for a long time and uh, I remember one time out in out in Queens, I think it was I don't know if it was Flash Dancers, one of those joints. Kimberly Taylor was performing, and I was a fan, to say the least. So I wanted to meet her, and so I went out there with a bunch of friends and my ID set, and got in, saw her. But I had a friend with me that was that was having a really hard time behind us. And uh, I think he might have got tossed, and I didn't. I didn't realize that we were in the bar waiting for them, and they never showed up. So no, never really, never, never anything exciting in that in that way. Maverick, best film school story, funny or otherwise. I have to get back to you on that one. Salvatore Martone has the Pope of Greenwich Village become overrated the more you watch it. It's ironic because it used to be the most underrated movie ever. I still love Eric Roberts, though. I always loved the Pope of Greenwich Village. Now, I didn't really sit and think about why. But when I did, finally, as a young film school student, I had to admit it's not that good. The movie as a film as a written piece of material, is not very good. What's great about it 
are the actors and the performances and the opportunities for, you know, much like Scarface. It's a cousin of Scarface in this way. The characterizations, almost almost caricatures, really imitatable, repeatable scenes and characters in the film. So that's why the Pope of Greenwich Village ranks. And plus, it's got... It, 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 the closing credits are Summer Wind by Sinatra as the two of them walk down the city street in New York. What more do you need? The the, the milieu of the film, the vibe, is, is so rich. Uh, so I appreciate it from that level. But, um, I mean, as a film, it, it's it's not that great. But the, but, but the performances are. So, Salvatore, from, from that standpoint, I do... I do enjoy the uh, I do enjoy the film. Corey Colt, every podcast or shoot about Ricky Steamboat hints at his wife at the time, Bonnie. What's the deal or backstory about her and their relationship that you know of or have heard from previous interviews? Just that she was very a, a very vocal and and controlling type of woman is is what I hear. So. You know, when you talk to Ricky, you you often were talking to Bonnie too, and I'm talking about not as a fan. I'm talking about as 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 somebody in the company. So Bonnie had a lot to say at times. Uh, is what I've put together from other folks. Never worked with her, so I don't know. Um, but that's what you hear. And uh, can all those people really be wrong? Doctor Carl D. Smith. How do you stay composed when something like a Pafo Spanish ballad duet hits you out of nowhere? Good editing. Is allowance for that sort of tangent baked into your prep? It's baked into being a host. You want something spontaneous to happen that you that you didn't have to engineer. That's why having someone like Cornette on is great, because I'm not going to have to engineer something outrageous for him to say. I, I may sometimes knowingly poke the bear a little bit, but those are the things that you hope for that just that grow on their own after you kind of pour the water on and you can kind of step back and then you start to see something happen. For, for anyone who doesn't know what he's talking about, Lanny Papa was a guest a couple of weeks ago on the show, and toward the end of the show, I was talking about Lanny's love life, and I, you know, Lanny, Lanny's very anti marriage, and that I said, you know what, I, I see love in your life at some point, Lanny, and all of a sudden, he breaks into song. Uh, a, a Latino woman comes on the phone, and the two of them start to sing a love song to each other in Spanish. It was unbelievable. I thought the I thought the chambermaid had had wandered into the room by accident, but uh, it it was one of those real moments. And so, yeah, I mean, that's no, there was no editing. I I I just you got to let it happen, and then and then you've got to have the opportunity to make it to to spotlight it and and. Maybe season it a little bit and make it as as comical as possible. Like my asking Lanny if he was banging the maid. All right. Scott Fulton. What do you think of WWE Network, the content on it? What should they add when they introduce their new price tier? What would you have done differently given all the resources they have? Well, let's see. They, they, I like that they put episodes of the old school stuff. You know, listen, I'm an old school fan, so I don't give a shit about any of the... There's no behind-the-scenes stuff about today's product. I and mean, we've discussed this ad nauseum and, uh, in other arenas. I guess I've been on other podcasts and people have asked me about, you know, what's considered a shoot nowadays and, like, what's behind the scenes nowadays. I, I guess nothing, right? So the 
the old school stuff, being able to see the weeklies from Mid-South, and that's great that that's on there. But I, I would have wanted, and I know somebody that, that, that works there, and, and I've always asked him for more of the house shows. I mean, they've got all of these on tape. Even ones that didn't air, like I'm sure they just ran camera because there was going to be a title change that night. Just put on all that old rare stuff that wasn't televised. You know, the the house show. Yeah, I mean, I say not televised. I mean, not televised like in a weekly part of the weekly syndication package. I mean, televised locally, MSG Network or uh, Prism for the Philly uh, Spectrum shows. I know there was the. Uh, I'm forgetting what the California state NESN or no that was that was Boston that was for the Boston Garden and then whatever the uh, Los Angeles one was there was a stretch there of like four shows in 1989 that from the uh, from the LA Sports Arena that were televised uh, locally I'd love all that shit to be on and they should just do that just dump all that stuff on I don't know if it's a bandwidth issue or they just think people won't watch it or we need I don't know more episodes of divas talking about stuff. I, I know I know we have to hit every demographic. I know we got to keep everyone happy, but you know there are some people over forty that are watching this that this was a part of their childhood. God damn it, god damn. So yeah, I'd like to see some of that stuff. I won't blow up the spot and tell anyone that someone working for WWE was also working for us on our sets. I won't do that. I won't. I won't draw a spotlight on anybody. I won't. I won't say that I got a resume. Someone said, "God, it's so fucking boring up here." I love your stuff. Can I come and work on that stuff when I'm not working on a production up here? I won't. I won't say that. I won't tell anyone that. Listen, once again, I must ask: How much fun can be had in one week? And the line has to be drawn here. It has to be. You'd have a permanent smile on your face walking around society. People wondering just what the hell was playing on that little earbud in your ear. Thinking you're one of these morons walking around smiling, crossing the street, getting hit by cars. That I constantly go, you see this idiot? Do you see this idiot? Things that make me sound like a grandfather. Do you see this? Do you see this asshole? Look at him crossing, not even paying attention on the phone. What could be so important? What is he, Snapchatting? Is he Twittering? All right, guys, thank you so much. Hey, listen, don't forget, become a patron of this show, kfapodcast.com. Uh, it's not kfapodcast.com. It's patreon.com slash kfapodcast. For Christ's sake. See, the, the grandfather thing. I'm, I'm in character. I'm a fucking method actor. This has been a production of Sean Oliver Media. Copyright 2019 music by the great Kevin McLeod. Licensed by Creative Commons Attribution License. And we will see you next time.